Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together, to gather around your word, to be encouraged by the things that you have to say, to be instructed, to be made more like you. Lord, that's our desire. We thank you for the good report in Colby and Haley's life. We thank you for uh, their continued healing. Thank you for their presence in your presence in their life. We thank you for their presence in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity we have to love them and encourage them and support them through this time. We thank you for uh, the fact that he got to see Posey today. We're very grateful for that, Lord. We thank you for that special time that they had together. And Lord, uh, we just continue to trust you as we walk forward in obedience, Lord. Uh, we know the things that you have said in your word, and we know that you always honor and do those things which you have said. And so, God, we uh, cling to those promises, and we are grateful for the work you might accomplish in us tonight. So give us clarity, Lord. Give us ears to hear, hearts willing to receive. Help our minds to receive that which the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And it would all be for your honor, glory, and praise. That's our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what if, I, what if I told you that there's a way for you to be, to live your Christian life uh, practically free from condemnation, that'd be big, uh, practically free from guilt, from shame, uh, and I think most astonishingly, a a way to live free from the bondage of other people's opinion, which is one of the most remarkable things if, you are, if you're around somebody who's able to live free from that bondage in this day and age. It is a remarkable thing to see. So if I told you that you could live that way as a Christian, which I would say not, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be the norm, unfortunately, uh, there's a way for you to do that. How might we do that? How has God made a way for us to live that way? I mean, he's, he's freed us from condemnation and guilt and shame and other people's opinions, but yet somehow there's still this bondage in so many of our lives. And what we're going to talk about tonight is the key that, that for so many people in so many ways will unlock these things in your life or maybe help you discern the reason why you struggle or suffer in some of these areas. And uh, it is a, it's a, a fairly complex conversation, but certainly one that is necessary. We've talked a little bit about this in the past. Uh, it's something I've spent, a, I've spent a great deal of time uh, studying and just investigating, especially over the last year through uh, Paul's writings to the church at Corinth. So, Let's explore this urban legend about our conscience, our conscience. And what most people believe is that we should let our conscience be our guide, which in most instances is an absolutely horrific idea that you should not do. But if you have a well-calibrated, clean conscience, you can soar in the Christian life in the midst of all sorts of adversity and literally live, for the most part, uh, free, at least of all the negative effects of condemnation, guilt, shame, and especially other people's opinions. 
so it is a remarkably fruitful thing to understand and to know. It's also a remarkably misunderstood uh, part of uh, humanity and as our conversation will go tonight, Christianity. So, the conscience. First of all, what is it? What is it? The conscience is a God-given gift placed within each person that helps us sense right from wrong. Everyone has a conscience. A conscience isn't something that you get when you become a Christian. A conscience is something that begins to develop at birth. Every person has one, although it's not always evident that everybody has one, but they do have one depending on how it's been cared for uh, and how it's been utilized. So when you think about conscience, you should think about it as this inner sense of right and wrong that judges everything that you've done or consider doing. So I've been uh, fascinated by this uh, AI conversation, which please God don't email me and or you know I'm just sharing something that I'm fascinated by whatever you're thinking about it I don't want to know because we would just spend endless amount of time wasted but this chat GPT thing some of you are like I don't know what you're talking about okay fine but it is a new reality that is coming upon us and in warp speed and it will drastically impact our culture and so when you start to look at the way uh, we're developing artificial intelligence and, and how our, our children will use that and how it's going to affect education and how it's going to affect so many different things uh, uh, in, in the next generation or in the younger generation, um, well, it, it functions, as I'm learning about it, I'm realizing that it functions a lot like the human conscience. Because what the human conscience does is it, it is a giant uh, uh, vat that filters all of the information, all of the experiences, and all of the, the, everything that's been done and said in a person's life. And so your conscience it has a, keep, keeps a record of everything. And it's through that record that it's filtering, you know, these things. Okay? And so... Uh, and basically, artificial intelligence is just trying to, to reach out and gather as much information as possible, just like mind-boggling amounts of information, so that it's informed about whatever it is that you ask the computer. So, you know, if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about and want to be totally freaked out, then just go home and look at chat GPT and... Freak yourself out because it will totally freak you out. And all of our kids will plagiarize everything that they ever do for the rest of their lives now because all you have to do is say it and it's going to generate a paper on anything you want or an opinion about anything you want. And so it's like, it's like Google times a bazillion. So anyway, that's how the conscience works. It's this giant filter and everybody has one doesn't matter if you're spiritual or unspiritual you have one so that's what it is what does it do well it's a it's an inward faculty that teaches us our understanding of ourselves see 
your conscience is a road map to not to you necessarily, but to your understanding of you. And that's what makes it so fascinating, is it'll teach us how we understand ourselves. What is our understanding of ourselves? Ourself. Because the way that your conscience functions is the way that you process your, the experiences of your life. So it, it's not what is, it's, it's your perception. So, so if you're, a lot of times when I'm talking to people and I'm realizing that, you know, we're not talking about conscience, we're talking usually about something very simple like behavior, but it's very much linked to conscience. And so I'm listening, thinking to myself, why do you, why are you doing these things? What is, what is, what is flawed in the way that you understand yourself that is causing you to be able to do things that you ought not do or to violate your conscience or why isn't your conscience sending up a warning signal that you shouldn't be doing these things now understand what the conscience it 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 speaks to you about you it has a very very uh narrow purpose so that you the the voice that we all spend the majority of our time listening to the voice in our head is most of that is not the conscience because, the, uh, because it's talking about all kinds of things. The conscience is the voice that's just talking to you about you. It doesn't speak to others. It doesn't speak about others. See, your conscience isn't speaking to you about other people. It's, even if it's in relation to another person, your conscience is speaking to you as how is this relationship or this activity or whatever it is going to affect you. It's very, it's very inwardly focused. It's very self-central. And so, and of course it is because no one else can hear it but you. No one else knows what you. And so it, it, it operates, you know, within us. Now, it really only does if you want to just break it down, it's really only doing two things. It's either accusing or excusing. That, that's the warning system that God set up within us to do one of those two things. I mean, I'll break it down a little bit more and we'll get more uh, specific. But in Romans chapter 2, for example... Uh, like the, all of Paul's conversations in 1 Corinthians and Romans in particular, but also in Galatians, Paul talks a lot about the conscience and, and all of his conversations, for example, with, with regards to things that most of you, let's face it, probably read and go, I don't really care about this. But it is super important. All the conversations Paul has about eating meat that's been offered to idols and the problems people are having with that, is highly beneficial for you to understand what the Word of God is teaching. You see, the, the mistake that most people make is think, well, I don't really care about that because I, that's not an issue. now. But it's the principles that are being taught that apply, will, will teach you so much about how to navigate life correctly and, and how to relate correctly to your brothers and sisters in Christ with regards to decisions. So Romans chapter 2, Paul says, verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, 
even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So the, the conscience is active. Ultimately, the conscience is not the judge. God is the judge. So whether the conscience is right or wrong or whether you do the right or wrong thing or whatever it is that has to do with the conscience, it ultimately is going to be judged by God, um, period. He's the only judge. So the conscience is, is simply saying right or wrong, innocent, guilty. It's just issuing a verdict. It's just sending up a warning. So here's how you should think about conscience. And this is a good way to, under, to sort of get an indication of how you relate to your conscience. The conscience is like the, the, a, a warning light on your dash. It's like the check engine light that comes on. So when the check engine light comes on, well, what does that mean? Well, what's interesting is that, that you would think everyone in the room just thought the same thought, but you didn't. There was all sorts of different thoughts that came to your mind when I said the check engine light come on. And, and basically, here's the thing. The, the check engine light comes on, and all it is doing is indicating that there's a problem or that there may be a problem. The check engine light has no ability to diagnose. It has no ability to fix. It's only illustrating that there's a problem. But how do you, the way you respond to the check engine light is a good indicator of how you respond to your conscience. So if the check engine light comes on and you go, oh, I'll just deal with this later and keep on buzzing down the road, that's a good indicator to... Now, if the check engine light comes on and you flip out and lose your mind and start crying and call your husband and pull off the side of the road and have a panic attack, again, that would tell us something about the way you react to your conscience. And then there's all these different variables in between. And it's interesting that some of you, when I said when the check engine light comes on, some of you, the first thought you thought of is it, it probably is not functioning correctly. Like your initial response to the check engine light is to doubt the validity of the light. I'm just saying. And it's, it's complicated, right? Because it depends on, so what, and what, to think about what I, all this stuff that I said that sounded complicated, but look how simple it is. A lot of what determines the way you react to the check engine light, think about it, is your mind is filtering your past history with this automobile. Just like, I, just like the conscience does. It's your, so if, if this automobile has been squirrely in the past, then you're going to look at it and go, well, it's probably right. But if you've never, if, if, it's, if it's never led you astray, you're going to react differently. So, so what has happened in the past is going to, have a big impact on the way that you discern that information. And that's 
you know, that's a good way to think of the conscience as a warning light, right? So what it does is our conscience looks backwards at what we've done. Looks backwards at what we've done. So what happens when, because when, when we encounter a situation, when we have a decision to make or an opportunity or whatever the case may be, and all of this is occurring in just milliseconds of time, what happens is your conscience is going to respond based on what it sees looking back and what did it do in those previous situations or what your perception is of what's happened in the past. So when it looks back, what if it looks back and agrees? Well, then it's going to excuse or comfort. In other words, if it looks back and it, it, it agrees with what is happening t- today, in other words, looking back says, oh, no, this isn't a problem. This isn't dangerous. This isn't. How can I get you to understand exactly what I'm talking about? It's like the first time that you do something uh, that's uh, it, it's scary, but every time you do it after that, it gets less and less scary, and you get more and more confident in your ability to do it. Now, it's, it still may be scary, but something that's scary doesn't scare you if you've done it a lot of times. Does that make sense? Because looking back, what happens is your conscience is agreeing with that. And so there's not, a, there's not an issue. So in 1 Corinthians 4, notice what the Apostle Paul says, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. It tells you a lot about Paul. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Look at what he says. For I am not aware of anything against myself. But here's the key, but I am not thereby acquitted. See, he's so keenly in tune with his conscience that he's saying, I have a clear conscience as far as I know, but I still know that my conscience is not infallible, and so you shouldn't trust your conscience universally. You shouldn't do that because it's the Lord who judges me. Ultimately, he gets it. So when it agrees, it's going gonna, it's gonna to excuse or it's going to comfort. We're going to look, we're going to say, okay, so it's going to be okay to do this. Or, or it's going to comfort us and encourage us to do that. But what about when it looks back and it disagrees? Then it's going to accuse or convict us. Now, I immediately thought about uh, Pastor Brian's message a few Sundays ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 about repentance. And that's a perfect illustration of what happens when it disagrees and and giving you the difference in 2 Corinthians 7. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So what is this grief about? The conscience has kicked in and created this grief, and the grief has worked out for you felt a godly grief so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So the difference, in, and that's what the whole message was on those differences between uh, grief that's godly and grief that's 
worldly and what that yields. And so your conscience looks back, it disagrees and says, based on what I've, what I've experienced in the past and my cumulative knowledge of what's going on, this is a bad idea or that was a bad idea. So I feel grief about it. And then whether or not I, how I respond to that is going to determine what sort of grief it is. So if you think about it, when you, when you turn against your conscience, what happens is your conscience turns against you. Because it, in other words, when do you feel guilty and ashamed and remorseful? And no, think of Judas Iscariot. I think it was he, Brian even uh, brought up the, the text in his message about. So Judas violated his conscience. The realization of what he had done was wrong, and it, and it yielded death literally in him, but that the grief that he felt was the, the response to violating his conscience. Whereas in the, initially when his conscience sent the warning up that said, maybe this isn't a good idea, or maybe it wasn't prior to him doing it, it was in the midst of it. Sometimes the conscience is activated later in the process, but either way, uh, he didn't respond to it, and then it, it yielded this great grief, and it, it turned against him, and it devastated him such to the fact that he ended up dead. So it's, it's, the conscience is like this resistance army that's within us that will fight against us if we fight against it. It declares war against us. We even get, you read about... Uh, David, after his sin with Bathsheba, and how he's physically ill. He's, he's physically ill from the, from the weight of what uh, he's done and the reality of his circumstances. So it's going to look back, but then the conscience is also going to look forward to what we're thinking about doing. And when it's, when we're, when it's looking forward to what we're thinking about doing, See, if you think about, if, if you're thinking about doing something that you've never thought about doing before and you've never known anyone else to do it, so in other words, you have no framework on it whatsoever, you're going to have no moral opinion about it, right? Because it's, there's no basis, there's no track record, there's no... But that's super, super rare because the mind has been gathering all this information and attaching pieces together. This goes with this and that goes with that. And so all these things go together. And so what you don't realize is how uh, you were shaped as a child. We were all shaped as a child in, in the ways in which we were spoken to and the things that we were taught were right and the things that we were taught were wrong and how they grouped together. And so, you know, it's just kind of, you know, it seems silly, but they all connect. And so, you know, maybe maybe you, it was a, you know, you, maybe you flip out on your kids when they run in church, which is it's always kind of puzzled me a little bit. I don't understand that. I mean, isn't that weird? Don't run in church. 
what just happened? I mean, do you, do you say, don't run in the hallway or don't run in Walmart or don't run in, I mean, I get don't run with scissors. Somehow, church, if you run in church, like, oh, man, God's going to, like, get you for that. That's, it's just weird. But so what happens is a child processes that, and then they connects that to other things. And so, like, if you're, if, if you're, and then you're pinching them every time they make a sound in church, and, and, you know, that's a big deal to, okay, then, then they're associating all those pieces together. So then what you're trying to do is, is actually being accomplished in their conscience so that later on in life, the idea of doing something disruptive in church is like, oh, negative, you're not, we're not doing that. Because you've got this track record of all these don't run, don't talk, don't fidget, don't move, don't breathe. Just don't, don't even breathe. Or whatever it is. And it's connecting all these things together. See? All right. So, what's going to happen when it's thinking forward? It's very simple. Only two things. You're just going to get a verdict. Green light, red light. That's basically all you're going to get. See, the conscience isn't giving you this whole uh, rationale. That comes through your response to the conscience. The conscience is giving you green light, red light, and then you're going to, you know, if it's green light, then comes all this rationalization, which is really not the conscience. Or if it's red light, rationalization, you know, and whether you're listening or denying it or whatever you're doing. But the conscience is just go, stop. That's basically all the conscience is doing. Just go, stop. It's not, it's not giving you some... All right, so how does it work? That's what it does. That's what it is. How does it work? Here's probably the most helpful part of this conversation. So on its own, it can't teach us what is the, what's right and wrong. The conscience has no ability to do that. So you see, prior to salvation, what, what, it, what, it, what was the state of your conscience, your conscience prior to salvation? Well, let's go out on a limb here and say, probably a whole lot better than Pastor Tony's. Because what your conscience was prior to salvation is an accumulation of what you experienced and what you were taught growing up. So if you've heard me talk about my past, one of the things that I say all the time is that most of the atrocious things that I did, I did had zero guilt over. Because in my, my mind had no framework for that. My conscience was so barren. All the basic, simple things that you were taught if you grew up in, in, in any rationale of a, of a stable home, I didn't have any of that. So, like, just I think back on things like the concept of me as, like, a junior high kid like the things that I didn't have a concept of, I mean, that there would be an appropriate time for anything. Like an appropriate time where I should go home. I didn't even have that. 
Like there was no, I never had the thought, oh, it's 11.30 on a school night and I'm roaming around in the streets. I should go home. I never thought that because no one ever told me you should go home at night. So I just did whatever. So you see, when I heard people say like, you know, I would think, oh, you're just going home because you're tired or you're going home because you're bored. Or, but I would never think you're doing that. And that's just one simple little illustration. You just multiply that out to all the other things that, you know, I just had no, I had no, no framework for that. And so basically, to me, my conscience was built on whatever I'd gotten in trouble for, that was bad. But, but bad only if I got caught. See, it wasn't bad because it was bad. It was just bad because I suffered bad consequences. So you can see how this thing turns into a total mess. You know, if you, if you grow up, you know, like Mobley in the Jungle Book, this is what you get. I mean, it's not good. And so you just, but which, praise God, our, our children are not. But the point is, it cannot teach you right from wrong. It cannot. It cannot. So our conscience doesn't tell us if we're violating God's standards. It tells us when we're violating our standards. That's what it's telling us. Our perception of what's going on. So it's going to compel us to do what we believe is right and restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong, which is kind of a scary thing. Not if it's functioning correctly. It's the most beautiful, amazing, wonderful gift in the world. But when it's broken and malfunctioning, it's terrible because what's happening is all these warning lights are coming on the dashboard of my life and they don't mean anything. You know what I mean? I mean, they don't, I don't even know what the light is connected to. I just know lights are coming on. Are they broken? Does it mean anything? Does it, no concept. So, what happens is it's, uh, we get this incriminating feeling when we should not do something. Or we get this on a, on a negative side. Or we get a convicting feeling when we shouldn't do something on a positive side. So like once, once we're in Christ, then it starts to, to change. So if you think about the conscience, it functions, it's like the like an entire court of law built into your, 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 your being. So it's like a court reporter because it's recording everything that you experience and everything that you do and everything that, and how you, all the information is being recorded. It's uh, all the things growing up, what you were taught in school, the things that your parents taught you, all those things, they're all being recorded. Then it's also bears witness, like, like a witness in a court, uh, either for you or against you. 
depending on what the conscious thinks about what's going, what's going on right in front of you. It's, so it's, it's a court reporter, it's a witness, but then it's also a judge because it's lowering a verdict as to, well, this was right or this is wrong. That's the verdict. But then it also assigns the penalty. Because then if you do something and your conscience says it's wrong, then it assigns the penalty of shame and guilt and condemnation. Or if you do something and the conscience says it's right, then it assigns the reward of, you know, success or peace or joy or whatever comes that way. So it's, it's the message that the conscience gives us is very simple, yes or no, right or wrong, left or right. But the way in which it gathers information is important for us to understand so that if we want to have a clear conscience and we want to know... Uh, you know, well, what do we practically do about this? Well, good. I'm glad you want to know that. So there's two primary dangers with regards to us when it comes to the conscience. The first one is, well, nothing bothers us or things that bother us don't or the things that should don't bother us. So this is the warning light comes on. I'm just going to keep driving. I'm not even going to check it. I'm not going to be concerned about it. I'm going to ignore the fact that it came on. I'm going to deal with it later or whatever the case may be. And so, and there's lots of degrees of that because it could be I'm going to ignore it and never check it or it's going to be that right now I'm going to, you know, get to where I'm going, but tomorrow I am going to look into this. Okay, that's better than never at all, right? So there's degrees of of urgency with regards to when the conscience sets off a, a warning but when nothing bothers us so what this is this is an indicator that we have a defiled or seared conscience defiled when we're we're putting it off defiled when we're able to uh you know say okay that is something but i'm not going to deal with it now i'm going to distract myself i'm going to numb myself whatever the case may be seared is the extreme example where i just don't even have any you know, I don't feel, it doesn't bother me at all. I feel nothing about it at all. And so what happens is, is that if you want to understand the progression that, that violating your conscience is defiling your conscience and, and repeated defilement creates searing. That's the, that's the danger of repetitive sin. That's the, the reason why sin grows. It doesn't stay sat static. And so when sin begins, it begins with a little compromise. It leads to a bigger compromise. It leads to a bigger compromise because that's what's happening. The defilement begins to stack up, and so it becomes easier and easier and easier for you to ignore the fact that your conscience is saying, hey, maybe we should, to where pretty soon, in that one particular issue, so you might be here tonight, and there, there might be this one particular area of your life where you have struggled for a long time with one ongoing particular sin. And that area of your life is going to be an area where there's been searing. And so what happens is 
you can be a moral person and live an upright life in all these other areas but this one area because you haven't defiled your entire conscience on everything what you've done is defiled your conscience's files with regards to this particular thing and so you've seared it and so you see that that's the thing it's not it's not universal and so what happens in the Christian realm is that you have people who have this uh, this this sin, this area of their life that is that is just terribly dysfunctional and terribly damaging and terribly and yet in all these other areas they are very they make uh, moral decisions and and live uprightly. This is how that happens. It's through this defilement. And so you have to understand that, that disregarding your conscience is a, is a terrible mistake to make because it's going to lead to massive problems down the road. And, and it should scare you. When your conscience fires up and you think, I don't know if I should do this or not, you really should stop and process what's going on before you make a decision. Because what happens is what was once, a, you, a, a properly functioning conscience is a very loud voice in your head. And a, a, a defiled conscience is like a tiny little whisper that you can barely hear. And if you can remember a time when you thought, oh, you know, or, or the first time that you ignored your conscience in that area and you immediately responded with, I cannot believe I just did that. And now you do it all the time. And what's happened is you've seared what God's given you to protect you. You've seared it. And it is restorable. You can restore it. But you have to understand that it is a, a terribly valuable thing that you're toying with. And it has to be addressed. So in 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith. So some will be apostate. They'll give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods. Now, isn't it interesting? The, the people that in the first, uh, the, the first part of these verses, look at how horrible they sound, and then look at what they're doing. Look at these upright moral activities that they're, you know, oh, I'm going to be, we're going to commit ourselves to celibacy, and we're, gonna, we're only going to eat, foods which are sanctioned by God. No. You see, it's, uh, it's, a dangerous, it's a dangerous game. And so when you ignore your conscience, it can shipwreck your faith because uh, Paul goes on in 1 Timothy and says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare 
holding faith, holding faith in a good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What have they rejected? Being faithful and having a good conscience. They've rejected that, and they've shipwrecked their faith. So the gift that God gave that was intended to be a warning system to you is now this untrustworthy, broken system that no longer works as it was once intended. And so we have a problem. Again, by the grace of God, it can be restored and it can be uh, fixed. But you're going to have to take... Uh, you're going to have to take accountability and understand the, the, the priority of what needs to happen in your life. So to willfully act against the conscience is always a sin. It's always a sin because we would be acting in a way which we think is wrong. See, and I've told you this before, the, the issue is not with regards to the conscience, is the conscience right or wrong? Yes, that is important. But here's the thing. The first thing you've got to understand is if your conscience is, is warning you not to do something, regardless of what it is, you should not do it. Because in doing it, you're sinning. You see, because you, maybe you're wrong about it, but your, your conscience is saying you shouldn't do it, and you're going, I'm going to do it anyway. So you're doing something that you think is wrong, which is a sin, even if it's not wrong. You got that? Don't violate your conscience. What you do is you calibrate your conscience. What, I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. What you do is you cleanse your conscience, but don't violate it. So before you even start trying to, you know, just the, the, the ground level step one in this whole process is do not violate your conscience. And some people when I have this conversation with them, come to the realization that their conscience is, 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 quiet, is quiet. It's silent. It's not speaking. Because it's so seared. And a lot of times this, you know, I'm having this conversation with somebody who is, who God's working in their life, drawing them unto himself. And so it's in the context of us having a conversation about uh, salvation and about, you know, the, the Lord and the things of God, that it becomes apparent to me and then apparent to them that their conscience is not even functioning at all because they're starting to consider things that, that they've never considered before. They're starting to think things that they've not never thought before. So if nothing's bothering you, that is a, a huge problem. Then on the other side, which probably is the much more prevalent in this room problem, is that everything bothers you which is an equally horrible situation to be in. This is the person who, when the warning light goes off, you have a panic attack and pull over and start crying and flip out and, you know, call a tow truck and, you know, hey, calm down. It's just a check engine light. Okay, let's... Let's be thoughtful about this. Let's, be, let's process this information. Let's, it's not the end of the world. It, it could be serious. It might not be. But you've, you've, you've jumped from where you are to all of the things that could be in the wrong direction. 
And that is what's called a weak conscience. See, you would think that would be this strong or overactive conscience, but it's not. It's weak. It's a weak conscience because the conscience is, is, is weak in its calibration. It's weak in its ability to discern. Your conscience isn't discerning. So you find yourself constantly overreacting or underreacting in situations. That's a conscience problem. It's a conscience problem. You have a weak conscience. You're, you're not, see, a, a good, healthy conscience is going gonna, is gonna to make a, is going to bring stability, consistency. You're not going to be flipping out all the time. You're gonna, your conscience is going to give you the correct degree of warning with regard to the situation that you're in. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that, that's what God wants for us. That's what we all want. I know some of you are thinking, I, that's impossible for me. No, it's not. It's not. 1 Corinthians 8, Therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols... We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God, the Father, for whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not everyone, not everyone in that knowledge for some with consciousness, weak consciousness of an idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so what you have to understand is that the issue is Paul saying it's not about the meat, but you have to be sensitive to the fact that we're surrounded by people that have weak conscience and you have to, what we have to do is is we don't want to cause them to sin. See, if they're, so, so understand, if they're, if they're convinced that eating this meat is wrong, then you should never say, well, then eat the meat, eat it. There's nothing wrong with it. You should eat it. Because what are you doing? You're, you're imploring them to violate their conscience. So what is the solution? The solution is to educate their conscience to the correct degree to where they're able to make the right decision, which is exactly what parents intuitively ought to know about their kids, right? Yes, you, what we want is our kids to sufficiently learn enough information to be able to make the right decision based on the circumstance, not just to do exactly as we tell them. But what happens is we, we get in a hurry and we get in a rush and we just want to do behavior modification, but that's not helpful for them. That's not helpful. It's the same thing with our conscience. So if you think that something is sinful, again, do not do it. I mean, I don't know how. I feel like I just need to keep saying that over and over and over and over. So, so think about this. You, you think something's sinful, don't do it. Okay. But what about some of you in the room who constantly feel guilty? You struggle with condemnation so bad. 
you constantly feel guilty. You constantly are, are beating yourself up about things. You're constantly, and you know in principle what the Bible says about that, but it doesn't do any good. And so your head's always down. You're always in a defeated posture. You have a weak conscience. That's what's happening. Now, I've had ongoing conversations with people over months, even years, about things that are, are it's not a moral issue. It's not a, but they're just so condemned over it. Now, how did that happen? Where did they get those ideas? Their conscience was formed early on in an unhealthy way. And, they, and, and then God comes in and says, now this is what it is. But they can't seem to overcome it. You can't overcome it. You still feel, you know, you're still, you're, you're still stuck in what's been ingrained in you. I mean, the most obvious illustration of this is legalism. So when you, you grow up in legalism, it takes decades to unravel. Decades. I mean, it, is, it takes a long time because you just keep diverting back to that, you know. Or a lot of times, you know, when a, a, a couple grows up in church and they get married, um, you know, one of the things I want to do is I want to unravel what their, what is, what's their understanding of what they've, you know, what are they, see, it's not helpful if, if you grew up, man, I'm about to tread off into something now. My conscience went, danger. See, if you grew up in a home where your mom and dad never showed physical touch or affection because it was inappropriate. Never. You never saw your parents. They didn't hug in front of you, kiss in front of you. You know, it was just. Or if you grew up in some hippie commune where it was like free to be you and me, everybody wild and free, it's going to jack your marriage up. Right? Because what happens is your conscience has been formed by that, and so then you get married and then, you know, you, you have all these weird boundaries and all these weird... And the Bible's so clear about what marriage is, but what's overriding all of that is what you were taught growing up. It's, it's ingrained in your, in your mind. And so, so then you feel... So you could be married and, and feel guilty. And condemned in the context of marriage about physical affection. See how crazy that is? But it happens all the time. So it's powerful. This thing is, is, is powerful. And, and it, it, has a, it has a strong, you know, God-intended presence in our life. And when it gets warped or bent or miscalibrated, you got to deal with it. You got to address it. So... So, like, for example, if you feel chronically guilty or chronically condemned about something, what should you do? Should you, should you start reading your Bible more? 
Well, you, you know, you should always start reading your Bible more, but you're probably already reading your Bible. You're probably already reading your Bible with regards to this because you're, you know, you want to get this off of you. You're always feeling condemned. You're always feeling guilty. You're always feeling shameful about this, and you want to rid yourself of it. So you've already read all the passages that pertain to this, and it hasn't worked, and you can't get rid of it. And so what you should do is you need to have a conversation with a mature believer. So I'll tell you in a few minutes that one of the best ways for you to identify a person who has a clean conscience and you want to, you know, everyone should know who do I know that has a clean conscience because that is an an incredibly valuable asset in your life because that's the person you want to go to and say, can you help me with this? Because I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this issue. And they will be able to help you. Now, if you ask the wrong person, if you ask somebody who's got a weak conscience, what's going to happen? Or a defiled conscience, it's going to be worse. Because you know what they're going to say? They're going to go, oh, well, that's not a problem. You shouldn't worry about that. And maybe you should be worried about it. I mean, you don't, you know what, I mean, are they giving you information based on truth or are they just telling you what they've done or how they've dealt with it or what they would do in your shoes? See, the thing about it is, is I don't want to know what a lot of people would do in that situation. Just being honest. I'm not asking because I don't care. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, your life doesn't exhibit to me something that's going to cause me to go, hey, how would you handle this situation? It just doesn't. Like, I love you, and we can hang out, and we can, but I'm not asking you about that. Because this thing is weighing me down. You see? So you, you got to talk to somebody about it because you need help to sort through it to get, to get out of this bondage. Now, how would I identify... The easiest way to identify a person that has a healthy conscience, in my opinion, because a person with a healthy conscience is not going to struggle with condemnation. They're not going to struggle with guilt. They're not going to struggle with shame. It's not going to be the person who, who appears to be the ultra rule follower. That's not what you would look, look for. That's not helpful. Yes, you're going to, find, you're going to look for somebody who, who has high moral standards, and who, but but the way to discern it, in my opinion, the most effective way to discern a healthy conscience is when I observe that you are not in bondage to other people's opinions, it makes me smile. It makes me happy. That is a very high indicator. And unfortunately... It's ultra rare. Let's be honest. Let's just be honest. How many people in this room fit into that category? It's not a lot. It's not a lot. And, and you know what? There's a lot of things that scream how much you care about others' opinions about you. A lot of things. And the most obvious thing would be social media, big time, big time. No conscience conversation with anybody who 
is now you, now you can behave on social media in, a very, in, a, in an amazing and wonderful way. Some of you do a, an amazing job of that, but most people don't. Most people don't. And so what you scream all day long is your whole life is wrapped up in what other people think. And that's bad. Because that right there tells me that your conscience is not healthy. It's not healthy. See, a weak conscience is probably going to be most evident in the fact that you're hypersensitive. Like you're, you're hypersensitive. You're, you're, you're hypersensitive about things that, are, that don't matter. Like, what are you, what, what are you, what is that about? You know? And you know, I like to pick on you about it, so, you know. I, uh, I was super amused with myself a couple, when, was that, uh, yeah, two Sundays ago when I was talking about dancing? I really enjoyed that. I just want you to know, my conscience was just dancing free, like, woo! Like, you know, and going, hey, so it's good birth control. There you go. That's what the Bible teaches. Especially y'all's dancing. You know, don't be dancing. We're trying to build a kingdom here. But you're hypersensitive about stuff. Something's wrong with you. Like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? And you, you're hypersensitive about You're devastated by it. You know what I mean? Like, Somebody says something to you, that's, and you're devastated. Why? You know, your, your feelings are like, a, like an eggshell. You got a conscience problem. That's the problem. See, see remember I said in the very beginning, your conscience is going to inform you about yourself? Why, why do your feelings get hurt so easy? It's telling you something about you, and you need to address it. You need to address it. Now, if, if somebody says something to you, and it's true, and what they say convicts you, and you feel, you know, convicted about that, and you feel, you know, momentary grief about that praise God but most of the time what it is is you're just your feelings are just hurt all the time because your conscience is broken and and so what you're doing is you're trying to earn a right standing and that's why you get frustrated with people when they say something to you that you don't like it's because you're earning See, the reason I really don't care what you say to me is because I really don't care. I really don't. In other words, because why? Not that I, I, I don't want you to think good things, but here's the thing. I know what God says. And if what God says trumps everything else, then it gives you this resiliency and the freedom to be able to just filter information and go this is bad this is bad well let's look at this this might this is good this you know and just be free in that the way God intended but if you live at this ebb and flow of 
of our people pleased with you? Do people, how do people respond to you? What do people think of you? All this thing. I mean, you never get anywhere. Look, look at what your conscience is a slave to. Instead of being a slave to what it ought to be, it's firing off on all these things that are meaningless because every time the Bible brings up conscience, it always ends with the statement, but God is the judge. So what you've done is you're making all these other people the judge, which is wrong. They're not the judge. You see, if God's the judge, you just think, look at how freeing that is. It's so freeing. So, solution. All right, let's finish this up. Solution. So, first of all, the first solution would be get a clean conscience. See, you can't, you can't clean a conscience if you've never gotten a clean conscience. So the first thing is you got to get a clean conscience, which means you got to have a relationship with God. Because when you get into a relationship with God, you, you, at salvation, your conscience becomes resensitized. So here's what happens. Tony grows up like a wild animal, and then... At 25 years old, I get saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so I, I don't have a conscience. What I have is seared, totally defiled, all jacked up. And so then everything changes. And I become hypersensitive because what is when I first start to work in my conscience, where, where am I? I'm weak in it because I'm a baby in Christ, right? And so this is exactly how this goes. You, you, you get saved. You're in community with other believers. And so because you're weak, you're highly influenceable. You're highly, you care way too much about what other people think. And so you start adopting things into your conscience that are unbiblical. That's the danger is what you do is you start mimicking the behavior of the people around you, which I would love to say is always be the good thing if you're in church. But let's face it, that's not always the good thing. And so what happened to me was I started developing convictions about things before I knew what God taught about them. I got things out of order. And so the danger is, is that you start walking in legalism first, and then you have to backtrack. And so I get saved. I get hypersensitive because I'm weak. And, and as I'm trying to sort things out. I'm taking in all this information. I'm listening to what people say, you know, about don't do this and don't do this and you got to do this and you got to do that. And then as I'm doing that, I'm reading the Bible. And as I'm reading the Bible, the Bible is recalibrating. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm, I start going, well, now hold up a second. That's not right. Or the Bible doesn't say that. Or, and so it's calibrating. Yes, but what happens if I don't start reading the Bible? See the, see the destruction that comes? What happens to the people that just immerse themselves in church and don't immerse themselves in the Word of God? Now you see how things get very, very off track. Very, very off track. And so that you, you got to get a clean conscience. Hebrews 9 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? So that's what happens at salvation. But when we get this blank slate, we're, 
in a perfect world. Like if you go and look at the book of Acts and you look at the very first church and you look right after Pentecost and you start reading about how they function and you, I always think to myself, man, what would that be like? What would it be like to get saved and then to be immersed in this, in this group of people that were just totally led and dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Man, that'd be amazing. But instead, we live in the Bible belt where we have to unravel all of this insanity that people have picked up along the way. And so for a guy like me that starts at zero and doesn't have any of that weird baggage, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. In the beginning, I'm just going, well, if you say so, okay. Then I read the Bible and go, I don't, I mean, like I had a crisis of faith. There was a moment where I'm thinking like, I don't, I don't even know. Because I'm looking around going, oh, man. This is, this is, I'm seeing a lot of things and hearing a lot of things that really aren't biblical. And, and then on, there's so many warnings in the New Testament about, about the danger of, of cultural Christianity. Jesus warns over and over and over about celebrating feast days and all these things. And I'm just looking around going, there's a lot of feast days. Now, not anymore, praise the Lord. I mean, we've unraveled a lot of those, but they, they still exist. You know, we wage war against them as much as we possibly can. So you got to get a clean conscience. Now, once you've got a clean conscience, is it going to stay clean? Well, no. No. You're, you're still human. So it's not going to stay clean. So then what you have to do is keep a clean conscience. You got to keep it. And this is where the daily... You know, the, the maintenance comes in. We can't ignore it. We have to train it. We have to calibrate it. We got to, we got to, so what makes a conscience healthy is a steady diet of, and here's the key word, understanding. That's the key word. You should like put a big circle around that word. Because you can read your Bible. See, if, you, if you're not studying the Bible in a way that, is, that creates understanding, then, I don't, then I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. Like, you have to understand it. You have to understand it. It's imperative. It, it, the power is in the understanding. That's where the power is. So the more I understand and I devote myself to the understanding of Scripture, then the healthier my conscience is going to be. So a conscience, a healthy conscience, grows on a diet of understanding the Bible. So, so, so a church that eats a steady diet of good, solid, biblical teaching is going to have a, a higher degree of conscious health in the church. And then people who, then from there, people who are engaged in, this is why our discipleship model is a D-group model where you're engaging with Scripture, not alone by yourself, but with other people so you, can, so you can gain understanding, right? It's all geared around this process that will lead you to uh, a healthy life where you'll have a, a, a healthy conscience. Think about this. What else? It's not just that, but 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us 
You ever read that and thought to yourself, but, but I'm already forgiven. Well, you are. But are you, are you, have, are you walking in for the forgiveness of it? See, you can be forgiven and walk in condemnation. That's what, what I'm talking about. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Cleanse us of all these things. So what I'm saying is so many times, it's not just normally what we think. People are walking in condemnation because of their sin. Some, they're walking in condemnation because of their ignorance. It's ignorance. So you confess it. Because when, why? What's the power of confession? Confession is owning. And confession has a tremendous impact on the calibration of your conscience because what it's doing is it's putting that in the file. Because it's, is it easy to confess or hard to confess? So do you think your file is going to, you know, it's going to have like a little, it's going to have one of them fancy little red tabs on that file where you confess that because it was hard to do. Like your, your conscience is going to go, it's going to remember that. Like it's going to move up to the front of the file. Because it was hard. It took all this energy to do that, right? You could have just kept it to yourself. See, you, you, that, that's the power of when you're looking face to face into somebody's, somebody's eyes that loves you and you're confessing this sin in your life and you know that it's, it's shameful and it's embarrassing and it's hard and you're, there's power in that. That's where the freedom comes in. It's very... Uh, instrumental in, in shaping your, your conscience. And so to con but here's the thing, again, you can't confess sin without a knowledge of what sin is. The thing is, it's like, well, what do you confess and what do you not confess? See, some of us in the room have situations where people have come to us with this big confession and you're like, that's what you got? I mean, you're, you know, you want to be sensitive, but, like, you missed it. Like you confess something, but, no, you're, all you're doing is confessing what's on the surface, and I can see what's under the root of it, and you're acting like that's not there. Or you're confessing the whole thing, and it's not even a problem. You're all bent about it, but, you know, that's not the problem. So the point is, like, you, you, gotta, you have to understand. What, what, if you've ever confessed something to someone, it was difficult for you to pour your heart out to them. What led you to that? I can tell you what led you to that. You became strongly convinced and convicted about the, the danger and the wrongness of that issue that led you to that point. That's exactly what happened. And so by understanding Scripture, what's that going to do? That's going to lead you to, you're not going to have a confession problem. It's not that confession is going to get easy. It's just that confession is going to be easy in the sense that you're, the stronger your conscience is, the easier it is to confess. You see, the harder I kick you in the rear end, the higher you can jump. That's just a good way to think about it. Think of the conscience as my foot. I mean, it's true. So, your, the core issue, okay, to go home on is this. Your truth is going to dictate 
your conscience. So you better make absolutely sure that your truth is the truth. You've got to make sure that the truth that you are operating on is the truth of God. Otherwise, the whole thing is going to fall apart. And so the chronic doubt and shame and condemnation and oversensitivity and all of these things are, are probably issues with regards to your conscience that you should investigate and you should deal with these things. And what should you do? You should start feeding your mind with the understanding of the Bible. Figure out a way to do that. So however, if, it's, if whatever you're doing is not working, then do something different. Okay? Okay, we got to go. But, uh, man, I, I t- always talk to people, and I'm going, so what's going on with you and the Bible? And then they say, like, you know, and you say, well, every time I read the Bible, I fall asleep. Okay, that doesn't annoy me. What annoys me is the fact that you only read the Bible in the lazy boy. That is super annoying. So I have to be the one to say, go in the kitchen, stand at the counter, open the Bible, and read it standing up. I'm pretty sure you're not going to fall asleep. Why did I have to think of that for you? Right? So whatever you're doing, if it's not working, stop doing that and do, make it work. Figure it out. It's too important not to do that, right? It's too important. So if your Bible's just riding around the floorboard of your car, then, you know, you're reaping the consequences of that. So you're going to make some changes. Like, you've got to declare war against that, and you've got to figure out a way to get the understanding of the Word of God into your your heart and mind, and it will cleanse your conscience, and your conscience will serve you in a tremendous way. And here's the thing. What I'm talking about is when you have a clean conscience, your joy coefficient in your life will go to the moon, irregardless of your circumstances. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of our conscience. Thank you for the things that you teach us about it. Thank you for each one here. May we find great encouragement. And Lord, may we, may we reap the harvest of the wonderful benefits of the gift of a healthy and clean conscience. Thank you for the desire in the hearts in this room to know you and to walk with you and to obey you. And we're just grateful tonight. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. See you Sunday. Keep praying for Colby and Haley and Posey.